So this is my favorite Sunday of the year, and I believe that if you're a Christ follower, this should be your favorite Sunday as well, because it was on the morning of Easter that a group of women went and visited the tomb. And the Gospel of Matthew says that they were surprised that they found an empty tomb. And instead of finding Jesus, what they found was an angel. And the angel said this, he is not here. He has risen just as he said he would. You see, everything we believe in Christianity is based on this proclamation. It's based on the resurrection, right? Christianity has everything to do with this one event, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. This is why this is such a big deal. This is why we gather. This is why we celebrate all over the world is because of the resurrection. And if you're not a Christian, okay, and if you're still trying to figure this whole thing out, And you just tuned in online this morning because you figured you might as well because it's Easter Sunday. You want to know what everybody's talking about. And you don't want to get in trouble by your mama when you have lunch today. So you want to say you've been able to go to Easter services. I'm just glad that you're here. Okay, and I want you to know that if this is your first time trying out church, this is what distinguishes us from any other religion in any other part of the world. Because when you get down to it, what our faith is all about, it's not based just on teaching It's not based just on philosophy or moral standards or on new enlightenment. What it comes down to is whether or not we believe Jesus and the statements that he made about being the resurrection and whether or not he really did rise from the grave. So go back to this this verse with me for just a minute. The angel tells the ladies, he's not here. He is risen, but focus on this last part. Just as he said he would. Just as he said he would. The angel's telling these ladies, he's like, listen, this shouldn't surprise you. You should have known this. You should have seen this coming. Right? Why? Because he's been talking about it. For, uh, to be honest, Jesus has been saying that he's the resurrection. He's been pointing to this all throughout his life, all throughout his teachings. Right? But nobody believed it. Nobody really understood it. Nobody really knew that this was really going to happen. Why? Why not? Because it's strange, right? It's a little crazy, honestly, to hear somebody claim to be the resurrection. Like to wonder what in the world are they talking about? Imagine being in the crowd. Imagine being in the crowd when Jesus was teaching all those years and hearing him say, I am the resurrection or hearing him say, this is what's gonna happen, right? I'm going to rise from the grave and probably wondering to yourself, what is he talking about? Like this is just nonsense. This doesn't make any sense. They probably rolled their eyes. They probably thought this is a little weird. And you know what? Honestly, if you had heard that for the first time and you were back then, you probably would have thought the same thing. Have you ever heard, speaking of outrageous statements, have you ever heard somebody make an outrageous statement, just make an outrageous claim about themselves and you just kind of left you scratching your head going, what in the world are they talking about? Like, have you ever heard somebody say something and you're like, ooh, they think a little too much of themselves, right? Or I can't believe they just said that out loud. In fact, just to kind of have a little fun this morning, I, I, I want to do something. I want to show you some outrageous claims, okay, up here on the screen, uh, screen, and I want you to name the claim, okay? So let's see if you can name the outrageous claim. In fact, I want you to play with whoever you brought this morning. So turn to your neighbor right now, and we're going to play a game, and I want you to tell them you're going down. You're going down on Easter right now, okay? 
you're about to go, I'm about to beat you in this game, okay? And if you're online with us, you can play along as well. So here, here we go. Name the outrageous claim. Who said this? Number one, here's the first one. To be the man, you gotta beat the man. If you want a little hint, there you go. Woo! All right, who said this is a famous wrestler? I'll give you a little hint for each one. All right, let's see. The answer is Ric Flair. Who got Ric Flair? Let me see. Raise your hands. All right, wow, a lot of y'all. Okay, here's the next one. They're gonna get a little harder. That one was easier. Here's the next one. Here's the next one. I feel like I'm the best, but you're not gonna get me to say it. Who said that quote right there? And I'll give you a hint. He is an NFL Hall of Fame wide receiver that used to play for the 49ers, okay? Oh, I see, okay, I'm getting it. All right, here we go. Here's the answer. Jerry Rice, all right, who got it after the hint? Let me see, okay, all right, good. We still got some people. All right, here we go. This is a good one. Everybody should probably get this one. I'm young, I'm handsome, I'm fast, I can't possibly be beat. It's hard to be humble when you're as great as I am. I am the greatest. I said that even before I knew I was. Who is this? Probably one of the most famous boxers of all time. Here we go. Here's your answer. Muhammad Ali. Anybody? How many of y'all got that? Okay. All right. One more. This is for the tiebreaker in case two of you have got the same answers. All right. Here we go. Number four. I am the number one most impactful artist of our generation. I am Shakespeare in the flesh. Who said that? All right. I'm not even going to give you a hint on this one, okay? It is... Kanye West. (laughs) He also says, this one cracks me up every time, my greatest pain in life is that I will never be able to see myself perform live. (laughs) That gets me every time. Imagine hearing him say that and you're like, oh my gosh, like seriously. How many of you ever thought that you would hear a Kanye West quote on Easter morning? Let me see, yeah. (laughs) Welcome to the ridge, here we go. All right, I'm gonna leave it at that, okay? Here's the point, here's the point. I do have a point. I think that Jesus is the one that has made the most outrageous claim that's ever been said in all of history. Because no one before him, no one after him has ever claimed to be the resurrection and then backed it up. And here's the thing, is that when he was alive, he kept saying it. He kept teaching it. In fact, what I wanted to do is I just want to share a couple of stories with you this morning uh, of the times that Jesus claimed to be the resurrection. For starters, for starters, there was this time in John chapter 2 when Jesus was teaching in the temple. And he looked at the leaders in the temple and he says this. He says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And the leaders looking around hearing Jesus teach this and say this, they're looking at each other and they're just rolling their eyes and they're like, what are you talking about? They literally said out loud, It took us 46 years to build the temple. And if the walls come crumbling down, you're going to raise it in three days? What in the world? But then, but then John, the guy who's writing this down, he goes on to explain and he says this. But when Jesus said this temple, what he meant was his own body. John was like, this was, now that I think about it, John was like, this was figurative language here. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered he had said this. They remembered it. Why did they remember it? Because it was outrageous. It was an outrageous claim. You would have remembered that too. And there's another time. Another time Jesus talked about his death and resurrection. And he compared it to the life of Jonah. Did you know that? Jonah and the whale. 
It's true. Jesus is teaching, and he described it this way. Look at this. He said, For as Jonah was in the belly of a great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Do you remember what happens to Jonah in the story? He's swallowed into the belly of a great fish, and the whale can't hold him down and ends up swimming back to, and spitting him back up onto dry ground. And every time I read that story and every time I think about it, it just makes me want to go, ugh, right? But what is Jesus referring to here? That death being dead and buried in the grave, the earth is not going to hold him down. And again, Matthew, the disciple, he remembers this. And he writes it down because this is an outrageous claim. Let me give you one more. After Jesus was buried, after his death, even the religious leaders, they knew what he was teaching. They knew what he said. And so they go to the guy in charge. They go to Pontius Pilate and they said this. They said, they reminded him, Pilate, that when Jesus was alive, that he had claimed big outrageous claims that he would be raised from form from the dead <laughs> my typo after three days these guys these leaders in charge they went up to Pilate and they were like listen Pilate we know that he's dead. We know that he died. But you got to know, man, that he was making these outrageous claims. And I don't know what that means. And I don't know what that's all about. But here's what you might want to do. You might want to put some guards out front. You might want to roll a big old stone in front of the hall. You may want to seal it. Because we know what he said. And we remember it. Because it was outrageous thing to say. The last story, one more, one more story I want to share with you. It's about a resurrection that happened before the resurrection, be, before the big one. There, 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 was a, there was a moment in John chapter 11. It's one of my favorite stories. It's the story of Lazarus. I, I use this story all the time because I love it so much. And I preached from this about a year ago, so I'm not going to go into too much detail. But when it comes to Lazarus, there's two things you got to know. Is that Lazarus was one of Jesus' best friends. Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha. And they were really all close to Jesus. And Mary and Martha believed in Jesus so much that they just thought that if Jesus would come, that he would be able to heal Lazarus from his sickness. But instead of coming immediately, Jesus waited. And after four days, Jesus comes later and Lazarus is dead. And the sisters are so upset. Mary stays in her house. She doesn't even go outside to greet Jesus. Martha goes outside to meet Jesus, but only to first kind of reprimand him for coming late. The second thing you got to know about this story is that John is kind of building these stories back to back to back. The very first miracle that John starts out with was turning water into wine. And then each kind of story, just each miracle builds and builds and builds until we get to this story in John chapter 11 where there is a death and the guy is in the grave and everybody is standing around kind of anxiously waiting because they remember what Jesus has said. They remember the claims that he made. They remember what he taught. And everybody that's reading this story or in this moment in John chapter 11, they're kind of leaning in, wondering what's going to happen next. What is Jesus going to do? We're all anxiously waiting. So what I want to do is I want to just read 
a little bit more of this story and kind of focus on the statement that Jesus makes. So Martha, the sister of Lazarus, she runs out to meet Jesus. And after getting on to him for coming late, she says this. She says in verse 22, she says, but even now I know that God is going to give you whatever you ask. There's this brief moment from Martha. There's this brief moment of great faith. There's this brief moment where she remembers everything she's heard. And she truly believes everything that he said. And she leans in and listens to Jesus make yet another outrageous claim. And here we go. This is the other time that he said something about his death and resurrection. In verse 25, Jesus told her, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me, and that's the key, believes in me, will never die. And then he asks Martha, do you believe this? Do you believe Martha? And that's the question. That's the question everybody was asking back then. All these times Jesus was saying things like this, and in this moment he's making this claim, and everybody's looking around going, I don't know, do you believe? I don't know, what do you think? Do you believe? And yet Jesus poignantly looks at Martha, and he asks her, do you believe? You see, I want you to understand this Easter when we gather together. What it means when Jesus makes this statement, I am the resurrection and the life. What does that mean when he makes those statements? What does that mean about Jesus? And what does it mean for us, for those that believe? Let's talk about that this morning. If you got your message notes open, um, they're on the app. Let's fill in some blanks. Let me tell you first what it means when Jesus makes these claims to be the resurrection. Number one is that he is real. He is the real deal, okay? Jesus is actually who he claimed to be. You see, Jesus uses two very powerful words to describe himself. When he makes these statements, he also puts this phrase in there, these I am statements. Okay, we did a whole series one time based on the I am statements of Jesus. I am the resurrection. I am the life. I am salt and light. You know, those types of things. Like, what does that mean when he says I am? Well, that phrase was very loaded back in the day. People couldn't just say that phrase because everybody knew that when you made an I am statement, what you were doing is that you were proclaiming yourself as God because that was another way of describing yourself as God. It would be blasphemy for anybody to say I am. In fact, it goes back to the time when God came to Moses and he told Moses to go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Do you remember that? And Moses looked at God and before this moment, we didn't really have a name for God. And Moses asks God, well, who do I tell him sent me? I'd rather not tell him that a burning bush sent me. They're gonna think I'm crazy, right? And God looks at Moses and says, and says tell him the great I am is the one that sent you. Now later on, the I am took different kinds of ways of pronouncing it and saying it, it got turned into Yahweh. And Yahweh was even too great to even write that name down. They would only allow you to put abbreviations of the name down because it was too holy to put on anything lest that item be destroyed. 
And the only reason I'm telling you this is because it's not something to use lightly. And yet Jesus keeps getting in trouble because he keeps making these I am statements. Look at this time. He said, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, before you even knew about Abraham, before the creation of the world, I am. And Jesus was almost stoned for that one. You see, Jesus lays claim to the holy name. And the resurrection coming back from the dead, it proves that he is real, that he is exactly who he claimed to be, that he is God in the flesh. Number one, he is real. Number two, Jesus is powerful. When he claims to be the resurrection, it means that he is powerful. You know, I am the resurrection is a powerful statement because death is the strongest opponent we face in life. You know, death is painful. It is tragic. It is life-altering for everyone who are left behind. It is the greatest negative force that we know of. And there is nothing more devastating than life itself, I mean, than death itself. And we see this in the story of Lazarus because everybody is so upset. But as Christ followers, listen, if we believe that God was powerful enough to create life, then we also believe that he can restore, redeem, and resurrect life. There's another story in John chapter 10 where Jesus tries to help the disciples and he tries to help us understand the power that he has. And he says this, he says, no one can take my life from me. I'm allowing them to do this. You can't take my life from me because I have the power to give my life and then the power to receive it back. And remember, this wasn't just any death. This was a Roman death. It was compacted with a sword thrust into the side and Roman guards put at the entrance of the tomb and a huge boulder that took multiple people to move. And yet my Jesus shows us and his resurrection proves to us that nothing can hold him down. The guards, the boulder, not even death can keep him down. He is more powerful. And the resurrection proves that. And the third thing you got to know is that when Jesus claims to be the resurrection, it means that he's sovereign. That ultimately, he is in control. Right? Not only is Jesus fully confident in the power that he has, but he is fully confident in the plan that God has in place. And again, Jesus is trying to teach the disciples of the plan all the way back in Mark. Okay, way before his death. And he says this, he says, he began to tell them, the disciples, about the terrible things that he would suffer. That he would rise again three days afterwards. He's teaching them. He's telling them, listen, this is a plan. God knew that this was coming. I know what's going to happen next. Right, ever since God had that conversation with Moses and before that when God had a conversation with Abraham, even before that when the fall of man happened with Adam and Eve, God had a plan. And Jesus is fulfilling that plan. And at the end of Mark, after he says this, at the very end of Mark, it seemed like all hope was lost that the end had come. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, it looked like the plan wasn't gonna work, but this this is the son of God we're talking about. Back to point number one and point number two. He is powerful. 
He is really who he said he claimed to be. And God's plan is going to work. It's not over. When Jesus says, I am the resurrection, before he even goes to the cross, it proves that he knew God's plan and that God's plan is good. Listen, listen, listen. I hope that you remember this today. When we talk about Jesus being the resurrection and what the resurrection means for us, I hope you remember that Jesus is really who he claimed to be, that he is powerful and that his plan is good. And I hope you take that to heart in your life, that God has a good plan for you. And whatever you're going through, he is powerful to help you through it. There is resurrection power that's been made available to you. In fact, let's keep that conversation. Like those are the claims that Jesus made about himself. What what the resurrection claims about what he believed about himself. But what does it mean for us as believers? Let me give you a couple of things because Jesus goes on to tell Martha. He says, listen, not only am I the resurrection, but I am the life. In other words, I give life. Here's what that means for us. Number one. We get grace for the past. We get grace for our past. A little while back, I read a story of a young lady named Rachel who worked in a place that most people would never go, and we'll just leave it at that. Um, She had a rough history. Because of everything she had done and was doing, she had severe depression, thoughts of suicide. Her heart was overwhelmed. And when she walks into work one night, she finds out that a group of church ladies is meeting in the break room. And they're there to listen and to pray with the ladies that are working there. And at first she just tries to avoid them, but over time, during the evening, it just got to be too much. And she just didn't like that they were there and she was feeling bad because of their presence. And so she thought, you know what, I'm just going to go in there and I'm just going to let them have it. And she did. She walked into the break room and she just exploded on them and told them everything about her past, everything about her struggles, fully expecting to be judged, fully expecting to hear a sermon, fully expecting for these ladies to just be appalled with the things that she is saying but instead what she got was she got one of these ladies came up to her and just gave her a big hug pulled her in and just said I'm so sorry and instead of condemnation what she got was grace and because of that moment right there she quit her job that night within a couple of weeks she accepted Jesus into her heart She was baptized in a church that was less than 100 yards from where she worked. And now what she does is she ministers to ladies with similar stories. And here's what she does. She tells them about the life that Jesus gives. And the grace that's available to whatever you've done in your past. That he can forgive those pain-filled and sinful moments that we try to hold on to. You see, the good news of the resurrection and how it affects our lives is is that we don't get what we deserve, right? You, You see, when we look at our past and our sin and our problems and everything that we go through, we quickly realize that none of us deserve anything from a holy God. The life that he provides, what he gives to us is too good to be true, and yet, and yet he offers us that life. It says in Colossians, his death canceled the record 
of the charges against us. All those sins that we've done. And he took it all away by nailing it to the cross. You see, the life that we have in Christ, it's reminding us that there's more grace in God than sin in us. The resurrection is defeat of everything that's been done that's been wrong. It is grace for our past. The other thing is that it's grace for the present. Number two is that it's grace for the present. You know, the most troubling words of the story with Lazarus, let me go back to Lazarus for just a minute. The most troubling words of that whole story is when Martha goes out to meet Jesus. You remember I told you, Mary stayed inside. She's still upset with Jesus a little bit. Martha, though, Martha doesn't just avoid Jesus. She runs to Jesus to kind of let him have it. And she looks at him and she says those words, if you had only been here, if you had only been here, Jesus, It's almost like she's really, she's kind of upset. She's confused. It's like she's saying, I know who you are. I know what you've taught. I know what you claim to be. Why did it take you so long? What have you been doing? Have you ever had one of those moments that just kind of dropped you to your knees and you wondered what God was doing? It's like, God, I know who you are. I know what you said about yourself and what you claim to be. Where are you? Why are you taking so long? I think this is one of the the reasons that we can connect so well with Martha because of what she's going through in this moment. But even in this moment, this present suffering that she is in, she looks at Jesus and she says, even now, even now, I believe. And Jesus looks at Martha and he says, Martha, I am the life. I am the life, present tense. I come to give life right here, right now. And I wonder if there's this moment of Jesus where he's looking at Martha and he's like, Martha, just hold on, man. Just stay with me, Martha. Just hang on just a little bit longer. You're not gonna believe what's about to happen. I know it looks bad. I know it looks hopeless, but just stay with me. And slowly, slowly Martha begins to change her tune. And she looks at Jesus and she says that again. She says, even now I believe. She's probably thinking to herself, all those statements that you made, everything that you claimed about yourself, I was there, I heard you, I didn't fully believe it, but you know what, now now I'm going to admit it, I believe. And she moves from blaming Jesus to making a bold claim about Jesus. And you know what? This is good for us today. Maybe we need to be challenged in our present situation, whatever you're going through right now, to move from a blame to laying a bold claim on Jesus. Because if Jesus really is the life, right? If he really is the Messiah, if he really does have sustaining life for us, if he really is the resurrection and the life, then I'm gonna move from blaming him to laying a bold claim because I believe that he can transform this moment that I'm in right now. I believe that he has greater things in store for this present situation that I'm dealing with. So maybe instead of blaming him, I'm gonna like claim to him. And I'm gonna say that just like Martha, even now, even now I believe. And I'm gonna look to see what God's power can do in this moment because he gives us grace for the present. And then the last thing he does is he gives us grace for the future. You know, truth is, 
Sometimes we're so hung up on the past and the things we've done wrong, things we've said, the sins we've committed, those kinds of things, that it makes us hard to think about the future. Sometimes we're so hung up on the present, everything that's going on right now, and I just can't seem to get over this, that, that I can't figure out the future. But you know what? It's good for us every now and then just to think about eternity. To think about death, really. Think about what's going to happen today. I know we don't like talking about death. It's not really a conversation. I mean, it's not like you can turn to your neighbor right now and say, hey, what do you think about death? You know? Or next time you're at the pool, you know, lounging out at the community pool, just turn to your neighbor and go, hey, you want to talk about death? You know, they're probably going to try to social distance themselves from you. Um, it's not something that we like to talk about, it, but it's something that we need to think about. Because honestly, we're going to end up in two places. Eternity with God is going to be a place of complete perfection. It's going to be a place of total love, total peace, total joy, no sins, no mistakes, no errors, no evil. And the other option is still eternity. But it's without the presence of God. But through the saving grace of Jesus and by his resurrection, we have that option for an eternal life in his presence. And you see, here's... Here's how the resurrection, here's how Jesus being the life right now, it changes us. Here's what it means for you today about your future, is that it means that eternity for you begins right now. That's the hope we have, is that death doesn't keep us down any longer because I believe his claims. I believe he is who he said he is, and because of that, the only thing that happens is that I transition, and you will transition from this life into the next life, to be in his presence. So since I focus so much on Lazarus, let me close this story out, just in case you've never heard of this story before. Lazarus is dead. He's in the tomb. Family's upset. People outside, Scripture says, are weeping and wailing. Nobody's prepared for what's about to happen next. And right after this, Jesus gives that resurrection claim again. And I'm sure everybody in the audience that day, everybody standing outside is probably rolling their eyes and probably looking at this situation going, here he goes again. I can't believe he's talking about it again. But just a few moments later, just a few verses later, Jesus is going to tell those guys to move the stone so that Lazarus can walk out. And in chapter 11, the stone was rolled away for Lazarus. And with that, Jesus proved that his outrageous statements were true, that he is the real deal, that he has the power, that he is the resurrection and the life. And then just a few chapters later in chapter 20, the stone is going to be moved for him and he's going to walk out alive in a moment that will be celebrated for all time. In a moment we still celebrate 2,000 years later. And the good news is, that he promises a resurrection and a new life for us this morning. He promises to move the stone for every one of us here. And he promises us a better life. But in order for that to happen, you're going to have to answer that question. You're going to have to answer that question that he asked Martha in that moment. You're going to have to answer that question that probably everybody's standing around. Every time Jesus made those claims, they probably looked at each other and said, Do you believe? I don't know. What do you think? And they have those conversations today. You're going to have to answer that question. Do you believe that he is real? That he is really who he said he is? 
that he has that kind of power, that he is in control, even over death. Do you believe him when he claims to be the resurrection and life? Because if you do, if you do, the promise is not just for a resurrection to come, but the promise is for a better life right now. Grace for your past, grace in the present, and grace to lead you into an eternal future. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for today. I thank you for Easter. God, I thank you for what it represents, a day that we remember the resurrection of your son. God, what that means for us, for the saving grace that comes through you, for the change that we get to experience, and the promise that the stone will be moved in our own lives. God, we thank you for that resurrection and how that proves that you are God, that you are more powerful than anything in this world and that you're in control. And God, because your life was transformed, you offer us life. God, you offer us grace for our past, grace for the present, and a hope for a future. God, I pray that every single person in here, that their faith would be deepened a little more in who you are and the claims that you made. That when we have that opportunity to say, do you believe, we will say it with a resounding yes, I believe. And for those who might be here this morning and maybe they're in the crowd this morning or maybe they're watching online and they've never accepted you into their hearts, Let me just talk to you for a minute and let me just ask you, do you believe? I pray today that you would proclaim that you believe. And you can do that by praying this prayer with me. Just pray this with me and just say, Jesus, I ask for forgiveness of my sins. I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe the tomb was empty and that you did all of this because you loved me. Please come into my heart. I believe that you are the resurrection. And that you give life. God, we just celebrate those who are joining your kingdom this morning. And we pray. Pray, God, that you would take us from here celebrating as a resurrected people. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Amen.